0: to How I Did It, where Coda's Philanthropy and Social Capital team find out how successful leaders do what they do in the world of philanthropy and social leadership. My guest today is Kylie Charlton, Chief Investment Officer of Australian Impact Investments. Kylie has worked for some time at the intersection between traditional investment markets, impact investment and philanthropy. She's a former investment banker who has worked in Australia and internationally to build the impact investment market. And suffice to say, she's recognized as a real expert both here in Australia and overseas. So welcome Kylie, how are you?
1: Thanks very much, David.
0: Um, can we kick off with a really simple one? How do you define impact investing? Um,
1: impact investing, has a generally accepted definition which has been published by the Global Impact Investing Network Uh, and that definition um, is that impact investments are investments into organisations, companies, funds that intentionally generate measurable social and environmental return alongside financial return.
0: Fantastic. How does that differ then um, from the investor's point of view from more traditional ideas around ethical or responsible investing?
1: Impact investing is definitely an extension of that movement of ethical and responsible investment Uh, and what it really how it differentiates is in regards to its intentionality and measurability Uh, so you'll recall that definition I just gave you uh, the really key terms are intentionality and measurability and so what you may think about it is that this is an investment um, that is looking to solve a problem, whether it be an environmental or social problem And it's intentionally looking to do that. So there's a a solution which has been come up, whether it's a market-based solution, whether it's a different different program which is being run by a not-for-profit organization. Uh, And that is there's intentional solution which is being designed, and then you can actually measure the outcomes of that as well. Uh, So that's really the big difference, where for your ethical and responsible is very much more around, you let's screen out um, what we don't want exposure to, or let's look for exposures that we do want um, in our portfolio uh, versus really looking at opportunities where we could contribute to a solution is the other way of thinking about impact so, investment also. So
0: like you say, an, a natural extension in a way from trying to avoid doing harm through to intentionally looking to do positive things for the environment or the community whilst still um, generating a financial return.
1: Yeah, that's a nice summary of it. And we use what we call is a sort of an ABC framework, um, which has been adapted from the Impact Management Project. And it's like we're looking for investments at the ethical, responsible side, which avoid harm. And that as you move towards impact investing, you're looking at investments which either benefit people or planet, or at the real pointy end, of contributing to a solution.
0: Which I think um, the world needs, and it's something we should be doing. It's that it's uh, if you've got the opportunity and you can manage investments in a sustainable way, why wouldn't you be attracted to investments that also offer you the opportunity to do positive things? Um, But that's me. Who are these things for?
1: Impact investments are for everyone. They can fit within an investment portfolio um, of any type, of any size, Uh, theoretically. The biggest challenge that we actually have is the availability of impact investment product um, right across that spectrum of different investors um, so ideally where we would like to think that people get to and where we think the financial market should be is that every investment will be an impact investment because ultimately that's what it is today uh, because you either have an investment which is doing good doing bad um, or is neutral in its impact um, but in terms of that real definition from an impact investment perspective um, what we'd like to see is that they are available for everyone. The reality of the situation today um, is that most are uh, available for what we term is a wholesale investor. Uh, and um, you know that then typically leads us to high net worth individuals, people who might have, you know, sort of charitable trust foundations, private auxiliary funds, etc. Um, and then also not for profit clients um, themselves.
0: I remember back in 2013 I hosted a series of events with Jed Emerson who you know you'd know well, a real pioneer and leader. Um, Practically in in a thought leadership sense in in the impact investment world. And he taught me and other people through those events to think about impact investing not as a separate asset class or as some special thing that's new and shiny, but as a lens through which you look at all of your investments. Um, It would be very hard for any of the investments we've ever made or will make in the future to have no impact the, the, the challenge is to work out what that impact is and to think, well, do I care about that impact that I'm having through what I'm effectively financing? Um, how do you see the, that, that whole um, idea of a lens through which you look at investments?
1: Totally agree that um, impact investing is a lens across your portfolio. And so when you're designing an investment portfolio, you're designing it to meet um, a set of financial objectives and a set of impact objectives. Uh, and that's you know, ideally where, where, where we head.
0: Um, Why is impact investing growing in popularity?
1: There's a whole range of different factors that you could bring into this conversation about popularity and impact investing. Uh, I think, however, fundamentally, and I'll use, I suppose, more a personal perspective than potentially an industry perspective is that i think we're becoming much more aware of the world around us and conscious um, that if we continue to act as a society as we have been that we are taking more um, from the environment than what we're putting back into it uh, that we have increasing levels of inequality in our society as well And I think people are opening their eyes and saying that's not the world that they want to live in. And it's definitely not the world that they want to transfer to their children, to their grandchildren and to the generations beyond that. Um, And it's a real question around um, what can we do to change that trend or direction that we're headed and how do we actually use the resources that we have available to us to change that direction Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think there's a lot more people who are actually giving that sort of consideration uh, and then you know I suppose a maybe more direct um, response to the question uh, is that again you know we're seeing also a large transfer of wealth um, amongst generations, we're also seeing a lot more wealth being created by young entrepreneurs who are potentially more conscious of the world around them mm. um, as well, and those generations who are inheriting wealth um, also. And so there is this groundswell, um, I think, of appetite for impact investment. The other factors which I think are important to mention is that there's a recognition that our governments and our philanthropic community. Um, is constrained, it simply is not enough money within those communities who we may have looked to traditionally to solve environmental or social problems. Um, We need more money than that, we need to be able to tap mainstream capital markets um, to solve social and environmental problems, And, and so therefore that's the other driver Um, of why we're seeing this increasing um, popularity. Mm. Um, The final point that I'd make is that I've worked in this space since 2004. There's pioneers which have been in it longer than I have been. And we now have track record as well. These investments are actually proving out that they are as successful from a financial perspective um, in terms of their performance um, as well as delivering a social or environmental good than anything else which may sit in your portfolio and so in some ways and I was in a conversation the the other day and someone said it just makes sense if I have two investment opportunities in front of me which have the same financial characteristics from a risk reward perspective but the one on the left actually allows me to you generate environmental and social return for the society and the planet that i live on why wouldn't i do that over something else it's a no brainer
0: it's a, i think such an important point to us to get across in a conversation like this that you do not automatically need to compromise your ability to generate good financial returns or take a disproportionate amount of risk for the return you receive because that uh, that's an assumption i think many Uh, traditional investors who've not been around the philanthropic or the non-profit sector may come at impact investments with as an attitude and it's a false assumption isn't it? It's a false assumption to say that you need to to concede and give away the full financial return you would expect from a similar investment that doesn't have the impact element to it when you come to invest in this style of, of investing anything else you want to say on that because i think it's it is such an important point for people to grasp
1: david you're completely correct that myth that impact investment is automatically a, you know means that you're taking some form of you know concessionary market return it is exactly that it is a myth uh, and we are increasingly seeing, you know, sort of track record, evidence, research being undertaken, um, which points, you know, com- nearly to the complete opposite, um, that we're seeing returns actually um, outperform, and that's largely because there is being consideration given to all stakeholders, than just purely just driving the financial gain.
0: Yes, yeah, a, a very simple way you often think about traditional investments that may have been made in the past, like in tobacco companies, you make it for the investment. Uh, but then there is a there is a very clearly understood negative um, health impact, um, which is a byproduct of that investment. In this sense, you are just as equally making an investment for the investment's sake, but you may be intentionally helping 100 people um, off the streets who are, who are in a homeless situation or helping children go back and rejoin their families if they've been in out-of-home care. You may be helping people um, who have been in prison reassimilate into so society and become um, positive contributors uh, and stable contributors to society. So it's it's an investment first, um, and then very intentionally, it's a positive social or environmental environmental benefit on top of that, not instead of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's exactly correct.
0: Um, okay, so it's been quite hard to access these type of opportunities up till now. What why is that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 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 question that everyone asks, and I think you know, if there's two myths, um, which come into this field, it's the one about the you know returns are always going to be concessionary, which we're getting evidence against that, and then the you know I suppose not necessarily a myth, but the challenge of pipeline, uh, in the sector as well, and you know definitely I'm not going to try and say that's not a challenge. We are, however, definitely seeing an increasing number of opportunities come to market as people become more aware um, of investor appetite uh, as well. And so we're seeing different organizations and whether they be mainstream fund managers, whether they be boutique impact managers, um, starting to bring product to market. And I think, you know, that's what we will increasingly see over a period of time, that as you start to get, you know, investors' appetite is known, and as we start to see track records being created, that people will realise that you can create product in this field and, you know, we'll see more, more pipeline arise because of that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of virtuous circle, isn't it, in that the supply and demand are growing together and people are waking up on the um, demand side waking up to the opportunity and again one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to um, to help people understand what this is about and make them aware of it so more people can um, can understand that it's an option for them and, and hopefully will grow the market uh, and as I said at the start of the introduction um, growing the market is uh, is something we're both interested in you've been doing for many years really isn't it? Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, def- definitely. And you know, we are seeing that. We look at where the forecasts are of where the market would be, and then we look at where it is currently. And I could look back ten years, and you know, incredible amount of things have happened in that last decade. Um, you know, if you'd asked me to do this podcast ten years ago, um, you know, we would have probably been sitting here and explaining for a long time what impact investments are, and now you walk into a room, you walk into a conversation um, and no longer do I get that sort of glazed over mm. eyes um, people understand uh, what it's about but there's still I think there's still a long way for us to go but you know it's interesting there was a survey done I think it was last year or maybe sort of 18 months ago anyway and it was looking at the I suppose the top brand names in some ways which were involved in this space it was a US centric um, survey um, but of the was of the top 20 um, sort of investment houses in the US um, hardly any of the top 10 no longer have some form of involvement in impact investing Um, so people are waking up to the opportunity I think there is a need for the sector and those of us who've been in the sector for a long time and pioneered it to ensure that we continue to in to ensure that it's Its integrity um, I think and we don't get an impact wash or a green wash um, over product um, as people realize that opportunity Um, but I think that's doable.
0: And you being um, modest in uh, either that or you didn't understand the thrust of what I was saying which was that you have personally been you know in terms of how how you've done it you have have been um, helping to build the market and um, helping various participants and actors in the market, bring things to the market, bring them to market in a way that makes them investable. and you've been educating and informing the potential investors along the way. So all of that is really growing the market, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. and you've got to do you've got to work on both sides of the market in some ways. It's like yeah, having that conversation about, well, these are the investment opportunities and this is how it fits your investment portfolio but then the next conversation I might be having is talking to someone who's saying, "We're well, thinking about creating an investment product, this is where it is, this is sort of the impact angle, and it's sitting down with them and saying, well, let's make sure that it actually does end up being finalized and can truly be offered as an impact investment product, uh, which is going to deliver um, against its, you know, target financial returns and also its target impact objectives as well.
0: The other thing um, that has really Uh, made it difficult to access opportunities that are out there in the market from my my perspective um, is that clients, wealthy people, wealthy investors um, are often advised and their advisors have not really been in a position to provide advice in relation to impact investments for a variety of reasons. They haven't necessarily uh, understood the potential for the investments. They um, they, the, the people who are involved in researching investment opportunities within advisory firms um, probably don't have the skills to, to analyse the impact in the community or environmental side of the equation. They're more used to looking traditionally at um, the financial side of the equation. And it's really, um, it's really served to hold back the market in that clients who might be interested uh, to become impact investors have not been able to see impact investment opportunities because their advisors are not equipped to bring them. And what, what, what we're doing now at Coda in partnership with you is trying to solve that problem, bringing your expertise and your ability to, um, to complete extensive due diligence on the opportunities that are out there in the market, make a recommendation that we can then take with confidence um, to our clients. So that's, that's what we're doing. We, we're here recording this in Brisbane, having um, conversations with potential investors um, today, and that's one of the ways we're, we're we're again hopefully building the market. We're trying to overcome the issue that the potential investors aren't actually able to see those products that are out there in the market, and hopefully, um, hopefully this is just the start of a, of a wave of other advisors doing this kind of stuff. Um, now, can I just turn our attention to non-profits for for a minute, because private private investors. Um, are interested in impact investment, and I think we both agree, increasingly will be in the future. But non-profits are important in in this conversation because they see impact investment, many of them, as a a really good fundraising opportunity to finance their work, and uh, I think sometimes that is a realistic thing, but it's often, and probably more often than not, an unrealistic expectation and one that can sap an awful lot of resource within a non-profit. Uh, how do you, how, what, what advice I suppose have you got for, for people that run nonprofits who are thinking about um, building their own impact investment or raising money through an impact investment deal?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, David. I'm glad you made the comment that often um, it's not an appropriate solution, impact investing. And I think that's you know the starting premise um, of a conversation in a non-profit um, around impact investing should be, is this the appropriate strategy for us to be able to tap capital? Now, traditionally they would have tapped it through grants, whether they'd be philanthropic grants, whether they'd be government grants. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily just because they've been doing that, that they can automatically then transfer and create an investment um, an impact investment type of product. And so I think the starting you know, conversation needs to be about does this work? Is it an appropriate capital strategy you know, ability, uh, sort of capital strategy for us? I think then the other key questions that I would be asking a nonprofit as they start that conversation is to have them really look internally as to do they have an opportunity which can generate revenue that could be used to deliver capital back to, plus financial returns to an investor. And you need to start and examine, do you have that business model? Is that either via a social enterprise that you might be running, or is there some way of engagement in things like the social impact bonds, where then there is a government cash flow coming um, to the nonprofit for the delivery of agreed outcomes with Mm. government? But you do need to, in that conversation, at the very, very start, to examine: Do I actually have a revenue flow, which could be used to pay back and provide returns to investors? Because if you don't have that, you don't have an investment opportunity for an investor. You simply have: We've got this great opportunity. You would, you know, could you please donate to? And I think we see many conversations come to us where people try as hard as they can to, you know, sort of squeeze into this, you know, this square impact investment box, if I want to tip to that. Mm. But there really are, you know, some form of octagonal 3D yeah. object uh, and you can't squeeze in. And so, you know, as from a finance perspective, as you would always do, and I sort of think back to my, um, you sort of, pre-impact investing days, you want to always have the right capital solution for the problem. And I think that's where nonprofits need to start with when they have this conversation. Yeah. And I
0: find that's absent a lot of the conversations I have where the solution's is not there, but the, um, what the solution offers is really what um, they're thinking about. So you've got to go back to the ability to isolate a program or activity or so, um, some type of business enterprise um, that can generate Um, the revenue to repay investors and the other things we think about a lot talk to people about um, you got to look at yourself as an organization do you have people who have the skills um, to actually go down this path do you have the kind of donors and funders who this will appeal to if you don't have them if they're not the kind of um, people you're dealing with then it's going to be difficult potentially to reach that group Um, Is there a risk that you will cannibalise your existing donor and supporter base? The the list goes on. There are a whole bunch of questions that you need to ask before you go out. I suppose the the message to convey here is um, proceed with caution and don't commit too many resources until you've truly analysed your own capacity as an organisation to put something together and and deliver it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you you tried to summarise the comments we've both made, David, it is, is this the right fit and do we have the capacity to execute on it? Uh, And I think they're the two questions that you actually should be starting with. And I think it's usually a long conversation um, on both those questions before you can launch into something. Uh, And the other word of advice I would say is make sure you actually talk to other nonprofits who've actually embarked on this exercise beforehand, because I think there is a lot that we can learn um, from know from peers um, who've actually been down this path as well Um, some would probably say it's been a fantastic opportunity and they'd jump back in and do it right away again Um, and others probably would say proceed with caution with probably even a little bit more uh, (laughs) strength than what David just said
0: yeah and I find that there's a really high degree of willingness to have those conversations so people shouldn't be afraid to try and make make connections if they know people have gone down the path the chances are they'll, they'll be very happy to share their experience. Um, talking of experience I want to turn to you um, that this is part of a series we call uh, How I Did It so we really want, want to talk about your career and how you've come to where you are. You you were an investment banker, for some people that would be even worse than being a banker, and um, you've moved you could say from the dark side to the light. Um, how, did you, how did your career evolve from that more traditional investment banking um, journey that you're already on.
1: Yeah, it's a question I often get asked, David. And I think you know, there's a whole range of different factors. But possibly the simplest way uh, to describe it is to say that as a you know, as a banker, investment banker, um, I'd worked you know here in Australia. I'd also worked in the US for Citigroup as well and was doing project structured trade finance and you know was basically getting up in the morning to look at how could we finance another toll road how could we look at another mining project um, you know sometimes it'd be working in the healthcare space you know different manufacturing plants um you know privatization and so you know we're sitting here in a uh, a building in um, Brisbane, but you know, I can remember so many conversations, conversations in buildings in Melbourne's where we're sitting there privatizing assets that Kennet was doing and looking, you know, at how we would actually finance those. And so, after sort of 10, 10 odd years of doing that, it wasn't something I was really excited to get out of bed mm-hmm. and do again. It wasn't like, oh wow, I'm going to work again to finance another toll road. Um, you know, I'd rather be you know riding my push bike than making sure I can get more cars um, onto the road. And so it really came from saying, I have this set of, you know, finance skills, but how could I use them more um, productively uh, in terms of positive change in our society? And I suppose I had also had the opportunity to do quite a bit of travel um, over the years and, you know, was really quite affronted by the fact that when I travelled through many countries, and that I simply had privilege because of where I was born. I was you know, born middle-class family in Canberra, all those opportunities that you would expect of a middle-class kid here in Australia. And it was purely by the fact of where I was born. I could have been born in the slums in Africa or India, which is places I'd walked through um, you know, in my impact investing work. And you know, I wouldn't have had these incredible opportunities. And so what I really wanted to be able to do was you know, take those finance skills and start to look at how do you shift capital um, that I was at that time placing into building another toll road but how do I actually do it into something which was going to uh, ensure that we had, you know, at a very lofty level, a better society and a better planet to live Mm. in.
0: In many senses, not in all many senses, you're doing the same work, applying the same skills but you're doing it with, to use a buzzword, uh, purpose, right? So maybe the missing piece was purpose. Is that really what you know you see has been added to your career?
1: Yeah I think purpose and it's also I mean you know I come to work and I look at such you know a really diverse range of opportunities every day so you know I might be looking at you know talking to organisations who are looking to solve the issue of -of out-of-home care or they're looking at um, you know food waste for example Um, I've been having some conversations around or we might be looking at an organisation which is you know trying to um, reduce the environmental footprint um, of you know, fixed assets here in Australia, so property. So it's a really range of um, interesting activities I get to, to get involved in. And the other thing is, you, know, you talk about purpose, but it's also about heart. And I think many of the conversations um, that I now have um, people really come to them with the, with their whole self. I think often um, in the banking world in the finance world, we're sort of sometimes expected to leave our heart at the door. Um, and you know, with this, I never feel as though that's the conversation I'm having with people. Um, I feel as though you know there's a, there's real connectivity um, and connection, and that's you know potentially a bit of an airy fairy um, response, David, but. Um, it does make a difference to how you engage in that life. And we spend so much time uh, in our workplaces um, that it's really important that we feel as though we can come with our whole self um, to those activities.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I just wanted to kind of invite you to finish to, to maybe offer one or two other perspectives on why people might think about um, making impact investments or, or looking at their, their investments through that lens.
1: I think, David and this is what I touched on again you know, earlier in our conversation, is that if you are being asked to choose an investment, there needs to be a recognition up front that regardless of what that investment is, and you can even talk about a decision, you know, a consumer decision as well, regardless of where you decide to place that dollar um, of yours, it is going to have some level of impact. Now, that impact is either positive negative or neutral and I think in terms of impact investing uh, what it offers is that opportunity to ensure that the dollar that you're investing is going to have a positive impact and that's what's exciting to me uh, that you can you know, some people might say you can have your cake and eat it too. You can do, you know, you can do do well while doing good, um, as well. There's all these sort of catchphrases uh, that people may use, um, but ultimately, um, and even you know, I suppose when I go and buy my coffee in the morning, I'm thinking about well. Where where do those coffee grains grow? What about the cup that I'm using? Am I using a cup um, which is going to then just be be wasteful or not? Mm-hmm. Or am I or have I taken my keep cup down? Um, you know, I'm that sort of person who I actually won't order coffee if I've got to have a takeaway cup. i you know, I'll either sit down and have it or I'll just go without it. Uh, so it's it's those everyday decisions about where are we actually using those dollars. There are hard-earned dollars that we've all probably all gone to work We've had to earn them, you know, or they've been handed to us from generations beforehand, uh, who've also done those really hard yards to get them. And um, I think impact investing allows you to say, well, where am I actually placing that and does it? Is it going to have? A positive benefit to the world, and that's why I think um, impact investing is attractive to people, uh, because I don't think any of us want to consciously um, uh, make a decision whereby we're. Doing damage to planet or to society um, and you know, impact investing is probably at that point of awareness um, where people really are saying that they want to place their hard-earned um, resources um, towards things which are positive positive. Mm.
0: and it's like you say there's lots of um, lots of terms around like having your cake and eat it um, but essentially what what we're really saying is now and increasingly there is a better way and so you can invest in a better way and um, we're both going to be going on that journey with, uh, with uh, the work that we're going to be doing together. So I look forward to doing that and um, hopefully bring in some really sound investments to people that can make a big difference um, to people here in Australia and overseas and, and to the environment that we're all sharing. So thank you very much for your time and uh, I look forward to working with you from here. Great.
1: Thanks very much, David. I'm really excited um, at the foresight and... Um... Opportunity that Coda is providing its clients and really happy to be part of the journey.
0: Terrific, thanks a lot. That's it for this episode of How I Did It. For more from Coda, visit codacapital.com or email philanthropy at codacapital.com.